Now I've said before that uh, Easter season sermons may be the hardest to write. Uh, you would think they'd be the easiest, but they aren't. Um, it may be the pressure of possible visitors that you only get one chance to say something to. Maybe it's the familiarity of the texts. You know, it's these are the texts that are foundational, so we know them, so we keep going over them. Maybe I feel they're too familiar at times. Maybe it's the fact that much of what we preach on the passion of Christ is from research rather than scripture. Uh, some things the gospel writers wrote knowing that they would mean something to the reader. I've discussed before that, uh, you know, the cross today, to us, it's been transformed, so it means something different to us than it did to someone in first century Judea. If they saw a cross, it wasn't something of beauty. It wasn't something that they went, oh, I want to I wear that. I want to put that in my house. That was something that they said, I want to stay away from that. I don't want to have anything to do with that because it was one of the most disgusting tools you could think of. You know, in John 19, 18, they, they just say simply, and there they crucify him. That's the bulk of what they say about the crucifixion of Jesus. And so when I begin to read texts for, for, for Easter and Passion Week sermons, I go, there is so much more to crucifixion than those four words. There they crucify. There are things that, that we simply know from research, things that we simply know from, from what we've been told. That, that phrase, there they crucify me, is a pregnant phrase that means so much more to the first readers than us. You know, if, if we were 150 years from now, and there were archaeologists, make it a thousand years from now, there are archaeologists digging here, and they uncover a scrap of paper. It says, Indians scout calories. That does not, not mean anything, except for they may think, oh my goodness, this was a very, very hard place to be. But, if we happen to pick up a Hood County newspaper today, and the headline is, Lapan Indians scout the cowboys, there's a whole different meaning in that phrase. It's the same thing for people who in the first century would read what John has written. And there they crucified him. That, didn't, that wasn't just four words they walked away from. They had a picture. They had a visualization. They knew what it meant because they had seen it on the side of the road. They knew what that was for. And so that's where I found myself this week as I prayed over what it was that, that we needed to look at. There was one phrase that kept sticking out to me uh, that made me go, there's more to this somewhere. And it's there in John chapter 19. Uh, Jesus has been crucified back in verse 18. Uh, he is on the cross. He, he says some things. He, he, he takes care of his mother. And there, starting in verse 28, we pick up our scripture this morning. It says, after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished, that Scripture might be fulfilled, He said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on His side and held it up to His mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. Then bowing His head, He gave up His spirit. Let's pray. 
Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel. May the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. And all God's people said. Be honest, we may get out of here early today, but I make no promises. Um, I have very few notes to this. I have points. As I read this text this week, I kept coming up to the phrase, it is finished. And I kept thinking, but there's so much more to the story. There's so much more that's going to happen even to Jesus in the story. There's still a whole other two chapters in the book of John. Not to mention the first chapter of the book of Acts. Jesus is still doing things all the way up until the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. There are things that are going on. So when he says it is finished, why this phrase? And I kept saying, God, why this phrase? Why this phrase? Why it is finished? What's it here for? And I just kept going back to this other phrase that kept hitting my mind. Consider the cross. What does the cross really mean? Because as Jesus is on the cross, to us it has become commonplace. It's a theme that we think on. It's a theme that we know. And even our children can say, well, Jesus died on the cross. What do we do with that? When Jesus is on the cross, and his last word says, it is finished. What does that mean? What was finished? What, what is it exactly he's talking about here? And the first thing that is finished is that the cross is the culmination of the earthly ministry of Jesus and the promise of Scripture. Jesus had a list of things he was going to get done. He was here for a reason. And, and somewhere along the way, we read all the rest of the Gospels and we think, oh, these are great things, but we seem to forget sometimes that this was the reason Jesus was here. There were miracles. There were teachings. There are great things that Jesus said, but none of those compare to what is going on right here. Jesus had been marching toward this part for 30 some odd years from the time he was born in a stable outside of Bethlehem until this moment he has been marching towards this. This is what he had to do. This was his project. This is where it had to stop. This was where it was going to be finished. How many of us work on projects? It may be building stuff. It may be sewing stuff. It may be writing stuff. It may be crafts. It may be all sorts of different things. There's projects that we work on. And we know that feeling that we have when the project is done. It's finished. Now the thing is, there still may be more things we need to do. You ever been remodeling something? There was a hole in the wall? First mission trip I ever went on. I was 16 and uh, there were some boys with me who were wrestling. We were there to clean the parsonage to get ready for the next pastor and they wrestled through the wall. Broke a hole in the wall. And we had to uh, fix the hole that week. And I remember getting that project finished. 
but it still needed paint. Still needed things done. Jesus was on the cross and he said it's finished. And those of us who've read more scripture, we know that there's more that's to come. But the work of Jesus stopped on the cross. The work of the Father and the Spirit are going to accomplish what comes after. Jesus on the cross died. His work had to stop right there. Why? Because if it didn't, then Jesus didn't die. And if Jesus didn't die, our salvation is in vain. Jesus on the cross had gone through all the things he had gone through and he said, it is finished. It is done. I have accomplished what I have come to accomplish. God had from the beginning promised a Savior and the cross presents that Savior to the world. The cross is the culmination of the earthly ministry of Jesus and the promise of Scripture. That's the first thing that was finished. But also the cross is the end of the issue that Adam started you know, we, we can get into an argument about whose fault it really was, Adam's or Eve's. I mean, she was the first one to eat. But there's a lot of theology that goes into that because he watched her do it. That man was a jerk. I'm telling you. He was a jerk. He had been told by God himself that if you eat this, you're going to die. And he watched as his wife took a bite. And when she didn't die, he said it was okay. That was the sin. Not trusting God. And the one who had directly heard from God and we knew it, he didn't save the one who hadn't. We don't know that God ever spoke to Eve. But we know he told Adam. And in that moment, and in that disobedience, this sin nature began. Now we all struggle with the same thing. It may have different flavors, but it's the same thing. Yours may be greed or... Yours may be something totally different. You may be prideful. You may be anything. We all struggle with sin. We all have things that we fall after, things that get in the way. And it's existed since Adam. And it's an issue that's never been resolved. All through the Old Testament, what happened over and over and over again, God's people would fail. God would lift them up and put them where they need to be. Say, don't do it again. And guess what they did? They did it again. You know, often in our house, we find ourselves saying, why don't they just learn the first time? I don't know. Why don't we just learn the first time? God, over and over and over again, throughout the Old Testament, tried, but the cross is the end of the issue. The cross took sin and crucified it. Put sin to death. Do we struggle with it? Absolutely. But sin is dead, according to the cross. The cross is the end of that issue. It's the end of the issue that Adam started. But also the cross is the payment for our sinful indebtedness. Woo! Anybody have any debt? Anybody ever dealt with debt collectors? Woo. You know, the funny thing about debt is it doesn't go away. When my dad was in the nursing home, uh, I went to Radio Shack. I mean, you teenagers don't remember Radio Shack. Y'all remember Radio Shack. I went to Radio Shack because the church needed a sound system, and I'd been saving up stuff, and I was going to buy the church a sound system because we needed it. And so I went to look to get a credit card, 
And he put my information. He goes, well, you already have one. Troy was a friend of mine who worked at the store. You already have one. What do you mean I already have one? Yeah, and it's got like a $7,000 limit. I'm 21 years old. I'm like, sure. <laughs> okay, let's use it. You know, and let's change my address. We change my address in the computer. And, you know, so the bills will start coming to my house. Um, and then, through family politics, they told Radio Shack that it wasn't my car. I was a authorized signer on my dad's car. I stopped receiving bills. When, when, when I went to try to get a hold of them to find out how much it was so I could pay it off, they said, we can't tell you that. You're not on the account. But on my credit report, it kept showing up. And then when the debt got sold, because that happens, the debt gets sold for pennies on a dollar to somebody else, it transfers to somebody else and pops back up. It's, it's the craziest stuff. It took years to get out of that. We have a certificate of debt when we, when we live in this world. We have a debt we can't pay. And Jesus paid a debt that he didn't know. On the cross, the cross was the payment. He paid everything. You know, he, he paid it all. It's one of those things, you know, that's, that's, that's the operatory hymn we don't sing is Jesus paid it all, right? Because <laughs> He paid everything on the cross. He took our sinfulness. He took the debt that we owe that we can't pay and he paid it himself. He took that debt upon him. And the cross is our payment. It's the payment for our sinfulness. That's why we're called, we can say we're bought with a price. The wages of sin, the Bible tells us, is death. We owed everything, but he paid it. He literally purchased our debt. He is that bill collector that came in and said, I'm going to take that debt for him. That is mine. And he tore it up. And we don't owe it anymore. That's the thing about the cross. It pays for everything. It pays for the sins that I did before. It pays for the sins I'm going to do. My debt has already been paid for. He purchased it. He took it. And he took it away and ripped it up and threw it away. It's no longer ours. The cross is the payment for our sinful indebtedness. But also, the cross is the connection between our sin and our righteousness. We've all seen the pictures, right, of the cross on that canyon. And you can walk across the cross beam because it gives from one canyon to the other. That's us. We used to be the wretch in sin. We used to be the person who was lost. We were lost in, in, in another life over there. We could not overcome it no matter what we did. We couldn't get past it. But the cross made a way. The cross said, you used to be sinful. You used to be a wretch. You used to live an old life, but now you're new. You used to be unholy, but now you're holy. We cannot be righteous apart from the cross. You can't. Even when we look back in the Old Testament, the people that God was proclaiming righteous, He wasn't proclaiming them righteous because of the things that they did. He was proclaiming them righteous because of the relationship they had following Him. It's always been grace. It wasn't the law for thousands of years and then grace. It was always grace. The law was simply a picture of what it was that Jesus was going to do. The cross is that connection. The cross is what makes us no longer sinful because now we're righteous, because now we can stand before God because we are claimed as His own. Because the cross reconciles God with the world. 
world is dirty and nasty and full of junk. It's fallen. There is sinfulness. There is wickedness. There are things that go on that, that we can't explain. And we try to explain it. And we try to make any sense of it. And we can't. Because that's what the world is. The world is fallen. We are told in Scripture that creation itself is groaning for that day when God's children will appear. Because itself is fallen. It needs to be worked back in. It wants to be whole again. You know, one of the greatest... One of the greatest bad theologies that we teach is that our goal is heaven. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And they're going to be together. And our goal is to live in the remade earth. Back in paradise once again. That place that Adam and Eve were thrown out of. We're going to be there again because God's going to do it. And God did that through the cross. The cross is what brings peace in our lives. It's when we go through the greatest trials because of the cross we can have peace. The cross is what brings unity. If we truly look to the cross, if we truly look toward what it is that God wants us to do, we can't help but be unified. If you are fighting with believers, it's not because of the cross. You're fighting because of your own personal struggle, your own personal need to have control. And too many Christians have that. We have this need to be in control. I've got to control this. We can't control it. It's God's world. God could, if He wanted to, stop everything. He loves us. He lets us walk along. You know, I could... I can lock my kids in the house. Lock them in the room. Never let them do anything because I want to keep them safe and I want to make sure they do everything I want them to do. But my kids need to learn and I love them enough that hopefully what I am instilling in them are the things they walk through with this world with. That they will keep going back to the cross. They will keep going back to that point of unification. You know, there are all sorts of flavors of Christian in this world. And here's the thing. This is what we have to agree on. The cross. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we have to agree on. I don't have to agree on the place of baptism with somebody to love on them and have fellowship with them. I don't have to agree on what the end of the world is going to look like. You know, my mentor in college, he had one view of the book of Revelation that he taught. And there was an old pastor in town who had another view of the book of Revelation that he taught. And every Wednesday morning, we had a breakfast of all the pastors in town at the associational office. And we would come together. And one day they were sitting there arguing about how the world's going to end. And that old pastor slammed the table and looked at me. And he said, Troy, tell me you're not believing what this guy says. And I said, I'll tell you what, Brother Reuben. You two can sit here and argue about how the world's going to end and I'm going to spend my time getting ready for people to be there no matter what happens. It doesn't matter. All I know is Jesus wins. That's all I need to know. It may be neat to know those things, but it doesn't matter a hill of beans to my salvation. Had an argument with a family member one time about all this stuff. We disagreed. 
whether things were literal, whether they were figurative, and it was a big argument. And I finally said, let me ask you a question. If your way is the right way, because they had said to me, oh, you're going to be in trouble. I said, if your way is the right way, how am I going to be in any trouble? Well, because, well, your way, you said the Christians are okay, right? Well, yeah, well, how am I going to be in any trouble? Well, I didn't think about that. And we thought it was good. And then they turned to me, Tim and Claire said, now what is it going to take for you to believe like me? And I went, oh my goodness! I only have to believe one thing like you, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he rose three days later to the glory of God, and if I believe in him, I get to be with him. That's what I have to believe because the cross conquers sin and it conquers death and it conquers the devil. We don't have to worry about that. The devil doesn't have any power unless we give him power. Ooh. I'm so sick of us saying the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do nothing. He may have said, hey, look at this, but that's the same thing he did to Eve and Adam. And they went, okay. We got to going, Okay. We gotta start saying no, devil. You don't have any power here. You can't change this. You can't do this. I am a blood-bought child of God, and I have power to tell you to get behind me. Amen. Get away from me. The cross redefines power in the kingdom. This world thinks power is about strength. But that's not what the cross says. The cross says power is about sacrifice. The cross says when I am weak, I am strong. Man. When I survey the wondrous cross, <laughs> Jesus finished an entire chapter of human history on the cross. It's all finished. The law is finished. Death is finished. Sin is finished. He finished it. It's done. And three days later, something amazing happened. And the world was never the same. Maybe this morning. Maybe you've been letting the world make you feel defeated. And it's easy to do. There's nothing but negativity out there in the news. You turn on the news and it, everything's falling apart. And you start to wonder, man, God, where is God in all this? But He's there. Yeah. He's in the hallways of that school in Nashville. He's with those people. He's walking with them through it. He didn't leave them alone. He's there. We have a choice in this world. We can allow this world to overcome us or we can overcome the world through the power of He who did so. That's the cross. That's what Jesus finished. Who you were before doesn't matter. Where you used to be doesn't matter. 
How many times you failed does not matter. Because Jesus finished it on the cross. Maybe this morning you're still struggling. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you're missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. But maybe this morning, maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you have just heard it time and again, and it's familiar. And I know, as my seven-year-old does, that Jesus died on the cross, but I never understood it until this moment. It doesn't matter what age you are. Whether you're seven or 700, it doesn't matter what age you are. You can still come to Jesus. Maybe that's you today. Just come down the aisle of Detroit. I want to know Jesus and we'll go from there. Wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings.